You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We've been in a series called Under My Roof, talking about peace. Um, you're like, how does, how does that correlate? But peace, when it comes to um, our relationships, our, our families, how do we have the peace that God intends for us to have within the context and relationships under our roof? How do, how do we manage that? Um, and so today, um, as we continue, we, we talked about the principles. Uh, last week, we talked about finances. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to talk about marriage. Um, but I did some research, a quick Google search, um, and I found the, the most expensive shoes in the world. I was wondering, because, you know, that, like some, there's some sneakerheads out there. Uh, for those that don't know, those are people who really are into their shoes, okay? They got really expensive shoes um, that I would destroy in like 0.7 seconds. And so I was expecting a long list of all of these like Nikes and Jordan shoes, but I was surprised because there was only one tennis shoe on the top 10 list. Ladies, it was y'all's shoes. In fact, I found this pair. This is the, the I'm going to read it because I, I, I don't even know what it's called. It's Moonstar shoes. That looks like a Moonstar shoes. $19 million. I know. I'm like, for, okay, they're made out of like, they're made out of gold. They deliver them by helicopter to you when you buy them. Like how ridiculous within like a trunk that's veneered. I don't know. It's probably with like a super special alligator that once lived. I, I don't know. But it's. They deliver them to you by helicopter. Now, the other list, that one kind of tops it up. The other ones are like several million dollar shoes as well. I'm like, if I spend more than 80, I'm like watching where I step, you know? I just, now I'm also at the age where I'm realizing that there is a, there is a, there is a verging of two paths between um, style and comfort, right? That's called, that's called getting old. I get it. I know, all right? But if you ever put on shoes and they're so comfortable, you're like, I don't care what they look like. These things are comfortable, right? Uh, now, imagine you, you, you buy a comfortable pair. Some, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, Hoka's. For some, it's On Clouds. For some, it's like the orthopedic Velcro ones, white, black, or tan. Um, but, but whatever it is, imagine you buy a super, super comfortable pair of shoes, right? And you're walking around, and it's great, and you get a pebble in your shoe, Right? That, that little, I know, it's just like, ugh. Or, or if you get like a, a splinter in your sock and it's just every step you take, it's just, now that's frustrating and it could be annoying. But how ridiculous is it for this to go and take those shoes and throw them in the trash, right? It's, you're like, Matt, this is, this is very simple. I, I get it. The problem is, I think today in a, in a society, in a culture, we look at marriage with a bit of that lens, that it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with the shoe. It's, it's the, the irritant that's in it. And if you've ever walked like outside of, of on gravel at all, like you're, you're bound to have pebbles in. And so we're gonna talk about God's design for marriage today. We're gonna talk about um, how to deal with the little things that, that, that get in there that are annoyances, that can be problems, and how do we manage that? How do we have peace in the midst of our relationships, in our marriages? Um, so we know this. Uh, there's one perfect marriage, and it only lasts a little bit, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, the original design. 
Um, God made Adam. Adam, it wasn't good for, for Adam to be alone. So he made him a helper. And he was like, whoa, man. Uh, that was a joke. Uh, woman. And, and, and Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were naked. They felt no shame. And everything was perfect until serpent came along. Eve ate for the fruit. Gave it, to, gave it to Adam, sin entered into the world, and then there was the first marriage counseling session that happened after that, right? Like, so, so we have to always look at original design, how God intended this relationship to work. Um, and God's design for marriage isn't, uh, we talked about this uh, maybe last year, but the, the purpose of marriage is not our happiness. The purpose of marriage is not just to have a friend. The, the purpose of marriage is not just to have needs met or, or for someone to, to tell us where our keys are when we can't find them. Uh, that God designed marriage with a greater purpose. One of those is this idea of, of sanctification, that, that when you live with someone else, you do life with someone else, uh, you, you have to grow. That you have to give up, you have to sacrifice, you have to compromise, you have to, to give and take. And it, so it, we, we're molded more and more into the image of Jesus the longer we're married when we do it God's way. Uh, there's servanthood, enables to serve someone better, uh, enables us to, to daily lay down our lives to serve our spouse. Uh, there's spiritual growth, um, to love over not just moments, but seasons and decades. Uh, and then also there's the, the important aspect of what uh, marriage does. It models to the world the relationship of the love that Christ has for his church. So it's a, it's a symbolism declaring to the world to demonstrate that. But here's the problem. We've talked about this before. Marriages are under attack. I, I saw this stat and I, I had to research it because it seemed outrageous, but the divorce rate in, in Portugal is 90 something percent and in Spain is over 80 percent. United States, it's around 50 to 60%. That, that the intention is for this to be a lifelong commitment, but, but it's, it's, it's in this realm of just disposable. Let's throw the shoes away and get another pair. Now, I looked at it, and, and it's, it's actually twofold. It's not that 90% of every marriage that happens is, is, is ending because they, they do it year over year. But what they looked at was there was an increase in the number of divorces and there, that's the right, yeah. and then there was a severe decrease in the number of marriages. So fewer and fewer people were getting married and more and more were getting divorced. More people were waiting and more people were saying, hey, I want to I wanna call it quits. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an epidemic of this. Uh, now, one, I don't claim to be an expert when it comes to marriage. Uh, we, we trust God's word for that. I've been married 16 wonderful, amazing years. I, I, I married way up, y'all. You know that. I don't have to convince you. If you've met her, you know that. Um, and so this is, this is just a, a snapshot of, of what I've kind of, what we've learned through trial and error, but more importantly, what God's word says when it comes to marriage. And so if you're one, if you're not married, these are principles that you need to like write down and put in a book and come back to later if you're looking for a spouse. If you're in the midst of a, of a marriage, good, bad, troubling season, these are principles that we can apply. Um, whatever season of life you may be in, um, God's truth is always applicable. So uh, we're going to look at four basic commitments today, um, and then we're going we're gonna to go home. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 to start out with, and I'll be reading from the New International Version today, the NIV so we're going to be Ephesians chapter 5. 
We're going to start in verse 21. For those type A, I should have told you earlier. Sorry. All right. Ephesians 5, 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but then fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, um, this, this, this passage of scripture can often be uh, weaponized and used as part of an argument, but that's not Paul's intention here. It's to give clarification with the way in which God establishes things. Um, God always works, to, read the Bible from front to back, God always works through authority. And in this, he's saying that, hey, the husband is, has this role of headship. His, he is the, the one responsible. It's like when you, when you dance with someone, someone has to, to take the lead or it's just, or it looks like you can't dance. Uh, but, but he's put this responsibility and this authority on, on the husband to lead, to serve, to sacrifice. Now, he also starts with saying, hey, serve one another as, uh, as, as servants, right? To, to this idea of outdoing one another in serving. But God always works through authority. He, he placed the role of headship not as Lord. Uh, Jesus is still Lord. Husband is not Lord, even if they may try to act like it. Uh, they're not that Jesus is Lord, uh, but responsible to lay down his life to love her. And, and wives' responsibility um, is to not just to, is it to submit to the husband, but this isn't just for the marriage benefit. He's saying this is, this is you do it unto the Lord, not as the husband is Lord. He's not. We're not. Look at us. We're not, right? But as you would submit to the Lord, we, we understand res- like authority and everything. You have a boss who you're under authority. We have a government who are under authority. We, we understand that there's authority and this is how God operates. And this is not a lording it over. This is not a dictator um, way of leading. But this is a, a responsibility. The responsibility is, is on the husband to lead to shepherd his family. That at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's on him. And it's not a, hey, this is where I'm going. You need to follow. But a, a great leader Um, doesn't lead always from the front saying you need to catch up to where I'm going and this is the way I'm going. But like a shepherd, a shepherd walks with the flock. A shepherd leads, a shepherd guides. And that's the calling uh, for us on, on, um, as husbands and as wives. Um, Doesn't mean that the wife is inferior. It doesn't mean that it's a, it's not an important role or any of that. Paul is just establishing how God works through authority. 
that there's not this who's in charge. It's not an in charge thing. It's a responsibility thing of how God works. That basically both of them submit to Christ and submit the marriage that the, the marriage has a mission, submission. We submit to the overall mission that God has for the marriage. So four quick things. Um, I say quick. Okay, quickish. Uh, number one, mutual commitment to covenant. The first commitment is a mutual commitment to covenant. We have long lost the art of fixing things. Um, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a time where if something was broke, you wrapped it in duct tape, you took it apart, you did something to try to fix it. But everything now is, one, it's designed to break. So you, you buy it for $10 on Amazon because you're going to have to replace it in a month for $10 on Amazon, right? We, we get, and so everything is disposable. And so while products and consumer goods may be disposable, we have to uh, reject that idea coming into a relationship, especially in the covenant of marriage. Now, I've explained this before, uh, so if you've heard this, bear with me, but this idea of covenant is very different than contract. Right? You, uh, you go to AT&T, you go to Verizon, you say, sign a contract right, of, of what your responsibilities are, of what you're going to pay, of what they're going to do. They're going to provide service at certain times, um, as long as there's no trees around or whatever it is. Um, that they're going to, they have one end of the bargain, you're going to have one end. And, and uh, contracts are, are there to keep people honest. Uh, but lawyers help people to find loopholes in those. No, I'm just playing. Uh, but lawyers, like, there, there's, you, you try to find ways to get out of it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a protection. This, but this idea of covenant within scripture is so different than a contract. A contract is built off of mutual distrust. Like, I don't know you, you don't know me. Let's write it on a piece of paper so there can be some establishment of trust. But a, a covenant is very different. It is not contractual in nature. It is based around the idea of commitment. And when, when people in the Old Testament would make a covenant, two, two parties would come together and make an agreement of covenant. They would, they would take an animal and they would cut the animal in half and lay the two halves. And they would make an agreement and both parties would walk back and forth between the two cut parts of this animal basically saying that if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, may let what happened to these animals happen to me. So it's, it's binding. It's, it's, it's lasting. It's not like depending upon the day, uh, depending upon how you don't uphold your part of the bargain. It's, it's no, it's, it's a covenant. And when God ordained and orchestrated marriage, it's in the context of covenant a binding, lasting, forever commitment. And, and when we have that mentality towards marriage, that it's not a contract, it is a covenant, that, that provides so many uh, beautiful benefits within marriage. Matthew 19, verses four through six, says, have you not read, he replied, Jesus is speaking, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, so this idea that, that in a marriage, it's not just two individuals anymore, but you become one flesh. There's a, there's a oneness. There's a, uh, a, there's a um, unifying factor that takes place. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. 
He's saying this is how he's designed marriage to work. Not as disposable, not as this one's broken, let me get another. But as a, hey, I'm in this relationship that God has ordained. What can I do to, if there's not peace, what can I do to help bring peace? Um, I think one of the most underrated um, applications within sports is the bumper lanes and bowling. Let's be honest. Like, no other sport, I'm an advocate, we need to come up with some other ways with this. Because no other sport has guardrails like that of like, hey, this is a challenging thing, let's just completely take any skill out of it, and let's just make it easy, right? Like, I mean, my kids, it's, it's, I didn't know you could actually bounce it off that many times and still hit a pin over. And I've got no bumper lanes, and I'm going, and I hit it dead on, and they get more pins. It, it baffles me, right? But what's interesting is that covenant, when, we, when we're committed to this idea of covenant, like before you got married, uh, if, you had a, if you had an intense fight, right, just like knock down, drag out, like, like not hold my earrings kind of fight, but like... But like, like an argument, like real stuff, right? Think about the feeling that that argument produced. It produced uncertainty, a future. Because if there, if there wasn't, a, in the moment, if there wasn't like a amicable, like moving forward of this, if this is like a sticking point, it is like your, your future becomes uncertain. Like, are, are we gonna be able to resolve this? But if you get married, and uh, we, we call them um, heated, uh, heated debates. They're not fights, right? Heated debates. Well, there, there's so much safety because you're like, you're stuck with me. <laughs> there's no getting out of this. That you, you learn to debate differently. You, you learn to, to there, there's bumper lanes, there, there's guardrails up of like, like, hey, we're gonna have to work this out within this context. Just because there's a disagreement doesn't mean the future is uncertain. But because we're in this covenant binding relationship, there is safety. And, and it, takes, it takes all of the worst case scenario things off the table and it says, hey, within this, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this, we're gonna pray about this, or we're gonna work through this. So it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't constrict things. It actually gives so much freedom within this. I've used the illustration before, but marriage is like a shark cage um, in a great way because it provides safety. It provides, um, it provides this, this shelter of how God orchestrated us to, to live our lives within this binding relationship. So like, if you're going to swim with the sharks, you want to be in a shark cage, right? Um, and so this idea that the covenant brings security it brings safety, um, and, it, and it gives us a, a different sense of, of, I'm going to handle this with grace. I'm going to handle this with, um, with not like a, a transactional uh, perspective, but as a lasting covenant. All right, second thing, mutual commitment to healthy communication. The second commitment we have to have is a mutual commitment to healthy communication. Notice there's a pattern here where I say mutual uh, because every relationship requires two parties within a marriage, a husband and a wife. Um, that's how God designed it, but there has to be mutual buy-in. There has to be a mutual commitment to making this work. Uh, there, so there has to be a mutual commitment to healthy conversation um, or healthy communication. One of the primary breakdowns of, of any marriage is, is when it comes to communication. 
is when it comes to not understanding or assuming the wrong thing or, or, or getting snippy or, or, or just not talking or the silent treatment. I, I get it. Men and women are so different. And I, I, you, can, you can argue that God doesn't have a sense of humor, but he does. I'm, I'm convinced of it because men and women are, are polar opposites in so many ways. And he's put us together and it's like, men and women just communicate differently, right? We, we, we communicate uh, so much differently. And I, I've learned through the years that my wife likes to, to talk about our day. She wants to know details about what's going on. And there will be important things like somebody died or I don't know, something happened that like, she's like, so what happened today? I'm like, nothing, you know, normal day. And then later on in conversation, like, oh, I forgot to tell you that. She's like, how do you forget that someone died? Or how do you forget that this happened or whatever? And I'm just, I'm like, I forgot that that was an important piece of information I probably shared share with you, you know? But I, I'm always forgetting it. And so a healthy relationship requires communication. Um, guys, we, we tend to be fixers. In fact, just because it's fun to laugh, uh, there's an old video, you may have seen it, but talk about the difference in communication within marriage. I've got a quick video for you. Take a look at this. Just kidding. One second. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. You do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just <laughs> pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just. Sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way. <laughs> oh, very different, right? It's not about the mail. <laughs> um, in, in, in kidding, though, but seriously, we, we communicate differently. Communication between a husband and wife uh, operates differently, but we have to establish a, a priority for healthy communication. Um, we need to listen more. Um, more than just for information, like when we communicate in a healthy way, it fosters growth, it fosters oneness, security, uh, intimacy. There, there's so many things that happen when we, when we develop the garden of healthy communication within marriage. We're able to resolve conflict quicker and easier when we assume the best about the other person and not assuming the worst, when we learn to communicate well. Um, so I'm going to step on some toes for a minute, but this is a, a public service announcement. Stop nagging. Nagging doesn't work. It doesn't. 
There's a proverb about a dripping roof and a nagging wife, and it's better to have the dripping roof, right? Like nagging doesn't work in our communication. Uh, Don't be passive aggressive. Say what you mean and say it, but do it like nicely and kindly. Um, Stop dictating. Um, Stop just being silent. Stop talking to your spouse like they're a child. Um, Don't belittle, don't berate. This isn't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm attacking everyone. This isn't for women or just men. This is for both. Um, But healthy relationships require healthy communication. Um, We need to talk to our spouse um, like they are a gift from God. That God has given us a spouse to do life with, to love, to cherish, to honor. And we have to speak to them. And so we've got to just like, if something's bothering you, now not every little thing we don't need to address. But the important things, we've got to bring up. Because if we, don't, if we don't bring them up, then we have bitterness over time. And so we, we have to, to pull up the, it's like in my yard, there's, there's weeds everywhere. Um, if I go through and pull up every tiny weed as soon as it comes up, I will be out there for weeks. Um, if I wait till they're fully grown, um, then they spread seeds everywhere and I need a shovel to pull them up right? There's a, there's a healthy balance. The ones that have got past the developmental stage that are starting to mature, that are going to be a problem, those are the ones I need to pull up. So not just everything, not just when it's a make or break. Um, and it, communication comes through transparency and respect. Um, it fosters that. It fosters, I, I respect you enough and I'm, I'm transparent enough that within a marriage that there's, there's no secrets, that nothing's hidden. Everything's out in the open. Now, I'm going I'm to step on some more toes for just a minute, but bear with me. I am, I am adamantly, and if this is you, this is, this is not condemnation or anything. This is just, this is my insight from, from observing marriages. But I am, I am against uh, when, when couples get married of, of having separate bank accounts. Um, I've, I've known lots of people. Some, for some people, it works. For some people, it doesn't work. Um, but... The idea, and, and sometimes it can be uh, held onto because it's like, well, I spend my money on my things, they spend their money on their things, and they don't ask and I don't ask. Um, that's not healthy communication. Um, it, it needs to be, one, I, I think the longer we have established our own life, it's harder to do this. But when you're young and broke and get married, you're like, look, let's take your $27 and my 37 cents and like, let's, let's order half a pizza. You know, it's so... It's a lot easier, but the more that we're on a journey of establishing our own life and our own ways, I think it's harder and harder. But the, some of the root of it is, is, can become very unhealthy. Dave Ramsey said 31% of marriages have, uh, have, one of the spouses has a secret debt that the other one doesn't know about. 31%. And so if we're trying to foster healthy communication, there has to be transparency for how we spend our money. Money is a primary source of conflict within marriage, and so we have to know how we spend it. We're accountable to one another, that we're not hiding. You can hide birthday presents and Christmas. That's different, right? But not like I have my own life and my own thing, and they have their own life, but there's a oneness. They are one flesh. Um, your spouse should be the safest person for you to confess to the safest person for you to open up to, to be brutally honest, completely transparent with. The person you're going to do the rest of your life with. So get used to it, all right? Uh, Number three, mutual commitment of priorities. Third commitment, a mutual commitment of priorities. Um, 
in the, the order in which God tells us through his word, we, 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 God is first, spouse is second, and children are third. And then everything else filters through that. Like we, most um, lack of peace comes from misordered priorities. And if we want to, to find peace, peace flows from properly ordered priorities. Um, and I know that in it, today it can sound neglectful like, it's all about the kids. Um, your kids need stability. One of the greatest things that you can give them is a stable marriage. If, if they know that mom and dad aren't going anywhere, they know that mom and, mom and dad are in it to win it forever, good, bad, ugly, that provides security and safety for children. They, they need to see that you love each other. They need to see that you're affectionate for one another in front of them. Kiss in front of your teenagers. It's fine. They need that, Okay. They're going to cringe and they're going to run away. By the end of the day, they're going to be like, all right, that's cool. Model a healthy marriage in front of your children. Um, so some other priorities. One, we talked about this, but financial priorities. Uh, you, you have to have the same financial priorities, uh, meaning that like, uh, if, if you guys are on a, on a track to try to be debt-free, um, then you both need to have that priority. Because if not, if one person is buying some $19 million shoes and the other person is trying to get out of debt, well, and there's a problem, we need counseling for that. But your priorities have to be in alignment. Hey, we're saving up for a house one day. Hey, we're, we're saving up for a car. There has to be, uh, there has to be alignment in, in financial priorities of how we manage our money, how we steward what God has given us. Fun. Priorities, fun has got to be a priority. Fun doesn't naturally happen. Even when you have young kids, we, we, we've, we tried to, especially when they were babies, is to try to make a, a commitment to go on dates. And one, when they're really little, grandparents love to have them for the night. So like, that's a win-win, right? Um, and so, so have fun. Laugh a lot in your marriage. Have fun. Um, work, hobby, friendship, balance. Um, we, we don't need to have two separate lives, but we need to em- embrace and we need to, um, to push our, our spouse into what God has placed in them, whether it's talents and giftings, uh, whether it's a desire to do something, uh, we need to support and encourage. We, we can't just have this competition um, and work shouldn't be a priority as well. Um, intimacy, God, God placed desires in you that only your spouse can satisfy and those need to be celebrated and embraced as part of your marriage. Um, and then recognizing even seasons of hardship, the, the priority has to be, I remember um, when, my, when my dad was passing away during that season, Ashley was so incredibly supportive and encouraging and trying to do everything to, to lighten my load mentally and emotionally. Um, and it, it, the longer you're married, the more hills and valleys you're gonna walk through together. And, and our, our role as a spouse is to support each other is to encourage, is to uplift, is to try to shelter them from some of the other things where it, then when they're in a valley. And so we, we have to have that same priorities. Um, Ashley was mentioning this to me, we were talking about that, is that um, she saw this one pastor and wife talk about is that what we learned through COVID is that the party isn't out there, the party's here. Is that God has entrusted our families to us, and it's our job to to tend to them, to not just think, well, if I if I go out, we can we can have fun, or if I if I have to be outside of these walls, but like it's it's here, it's home, it's where God has placed me, where God has called me to shepherd and to lead, to have fun, create fun at home, and it doesn't take a lot of money. 
It doesn't require extravagant things, but make home, make your marriage a, a place of joy, a place of celebration. Um, and pray for, pray for God to change your spouse and to change you. You can't change them. And if there is areas of growth, well, we all have areas of growth, let's be honest, but, but pray for your spouse. And whether or not your prayer changes them, it changes your perspective of things. And you need to trust that the Holy Spirit and that works through your spouse and that God loves your spouse more than you do. And God is wanting to mold them more and more into the image of Jesus than you do. So our responsibility is to daily pray for our spouse to daily hold them up, to daily encourage them. Um, but we're not responsible, and, and we can't buy into the stalemate where, where I've seen uh, marriages begin to, to deviate is when it's like, the, well, they won't do this, and, and they want me to do this, and so I'll do this if they do this. And it becomes this hostage situation, and the, the, the veer is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But instead, God, what do you want me to do? How can you change me? Become the husband or the wife that God wants you to be, your, your responsibility is you and trust the rest to the Lord. Um, and then lastly, a last principle, last commitment is a mutual commitment of following Jesus. A mutual commitment of following Jesus. Uh, I had tragedy strike last week. Um, I love my Nalgene bottles because um, I drink a ton of water and they're supposed to be indestructible. Uh, like you can drop them off like 40 foot cliffs and they're supposed to not break. Um, this guy fell out of my trunk in my driveway, like going zero miles an hour. Um, and it just came out and just completely shattered. These things are designed though um, for like to be used and abused. They, they've got scratches all over them. Uh, they, they're supposed to be resilient. Uh, the design of this thing is not where the flaw is. This thing's designed to take a beating, but somewhere in the manufacturing of this, maybe impurities got in, maybe something else happened, there was a stress point, there was a weak point, um, and, it, and it broke. The design is not what needs to change, but the impurities should have been removed. The, the, the defects should have been removed in the manufacturing process. And the way that you and I have a great marriage is, is not a self-help book. The way that you and I have a great marriage is a mutual pursuit of King Jesus, is a mutual pursuit of taking your life and putting it under the lordship of Jesus, meaning that if God says in his word to do something, you do it. If God tells me to forgive, then I'm gonna forgive. If God tells me to serve, then I'm gonna serve. But the more and more you follow Jesus, the more and more he's gonna change you. I'm gonna read this for us, but um, this is, we call this the love chapter, uh, right? You, you've heard it in every wedding. Uh, you've heard it um, most likely, but, um, but I wanna read this for us. Um, and actually, before I do that, the, the ancient Greeks had, had four words for love. Um, the, the, the Greek language and, and, and our English language, totally different. They had different words for 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 different aspects of something. We just get love, but they had four different main words for love. Uh, you've probably heard this before, but the first was eros, which described the, the intimate love between a husband and wife. Um, so there's eros, um, there was storge, 
which refers to a family love, a familiar love between a, 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 a child and a spouse or, uh, or siblings. Um, and then we have uh, philea, which was, uh, we get the word, the, the root word of Philadelphia, you know, bro, city of brotherly love. It's this brotherly love. It's this, this friendship love. But then the fourth type of love that, that Paul uses here that we see in Ephesians, um, that we see throughout when it talks to husband and wife is the word agape. Um, agape is a, is a charity-like love. In fact, I'm gonna read part of this. Um, it's a love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. So it does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. Agape love isn't really friendliness. It's a self-denial for the sake of others. And so with that in mind, let me read 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, he said, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It, it, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the three of these remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I think a super basic even principle is if we ever get to a point where we think that maybe your season of, of marriage has been hard, has been difficult, there's, there's, there's constant friction. Maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, have I been patient and have I been kind? Am I easily angered? Am I proud? And go down the list. And I, I promise you, we won't run out of things to improve. But if our, our perspective is not, what can I gain from this relationship? But instead, how can I lay down my life to serve my spouse and to bring out God's best in them? How can I demonstrate to the world around me God's agape love, God's, God's 
selfless charity love by how I love my spouse reflects to the world around me? And how can I submit myself to, to the molding and the making of God's word into the person that he's called me to be? So let me pray for us today. We pray specifically even for, for marriages in this room. Father, we, we thank you for the beautiful gift of marriage. It's, it's such a wonderful mystery of what, you've, of what you've created, of how you've designed us to operate within this blessing and gift of marriage. And God, I pray that um, for every marriage that is, that is going great, it seems like it's just, there's joy and there's contentment. Lord, I, I pray continued blessing for them as they follow you. For, for every marriage that has been through ups and downs, for every marriage that seems like there is a lack of peace. God, right now, I pray for the spirit of humility to fall on that couple. I pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to guide their thoughts and their words towards one another. And God, when we all come to the table of grace, knowing that we deserve death and death on the cross, but you willingly took our place and took our sin upon us, that we are only here by your grace. We come to the table of marriage with grateful hearts for what Jesus did for us. It gives us a renewed sense of how can I serve? How can I communicate better? How can I be the man that God has called me to be? How can I be the woman that God has called me to be? To walk in obedience to your word and to trust you with the results. So Father, I pray a blessing over each and every marriage, over future marriages. God, that we would, we would commit in the way that you would, you've designed for us to with our whole selves for your glory and your renown, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, we love you. As always, our prayer team would love to pray with you for anything. Uh, we hope you have an awesome week. Take care and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.